You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. It's one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in music. I did a deep dive on this. It shows up in songs from U2 to Pink Floyd, Biggie and Tupac, East Coast and West Coast, Marilyn Manson and Megadeth, and more recently, J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar. And you know, David Jordan and I were talking beforehand, and this is like one of those psalms that you're probably most familiar with in the painting in the bathroom at your grandma's house, right? That was his joke, not mine. And I know that for me, this psalm feels so cliche. It's felt too cliche to enjoy or appreciate. And I think sometimes it feels to me like Psalm 23 exists only so that rappers can quote it and grandmas can put it in their bathroom. Right? Which is, I think is a shame because when we get so familiar with a passage like this, we run the risk of missing very important things in the passage. And I know that the thing that I miss the most whenever I casually read through the psalm is how deeply personal it is. I mean, you've heard this psalm before. You know this starts, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think so often I hear the Lord is a shepherd. Or the Lord is the good shepherd. Or maybe in this very last section, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I hear, oh, God is good and merciful. Or maybe, you're like me, and when you hear this middle part, when it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You only hear, well, when David walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he feared no evil. Friends, that's not what this prayer is. This is not a prayer of platitudes, teaching us facts about the Lord. It's not a prayer of generalities, showing us how things sometimes or maybe most of the time work out. This is a deeply personal prayer. This is a prayer of a man who knew the Lord. Not just with his head, not just in abstract truths, but with his heart. This is the prayer of one who says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So today we're going to walk through this psalm and we're going to try to experience this psalm. We're going to try to experience the three movements and what it means for the Lord to be my shepherd. And I hope that at the end of it, that we can join David in this prayer. I hope that we can say at the end of our time together confidently that the Lord is my shepherd. Because again, we need to see that this psalm is deeply personal. And if it is personal, then it is powerful. Because it is personal and powerful, I think that's when it can be comforting for us. So we're going to go on a journey with this psalm today. And I hope that as we follow the path that David talks about, that we will have new experiences and see new sights. Not, not just hear new facts. So I want to invite you to hear the psalm maybe with fresh ears today. 
Because if ever there was a well-known passage that deserved a fresh hearing, it is Psalm 23. And so what we're going to do now, I'm trying to find, what we're going to do now is uh, instead of reading the passage and then praying, uh, my friend Audra is going to come up and she's going to read the passage for us as our prayer. And so I want to invite you that as she's reading, let's close our eyes and let's let this be our prayer together today. And if you know the psalm and you want to say along with Audra, you're more than welcome to. So Audra, would you read it for us? She needs a microphone. All right, let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Audra. All right. Okay, first thing I want to draw your attention to in this psalm is the journey that we take when we read it. Here's what I mean. So picture with me the scenery of the psalm that Audra just read. We start out in fields and pastures. We go by calm waters. The, the, the picture here is of like average terrain. This is level ground. It's not peaks. It's not valleys. This is the level ground. And then in verse 4, we go down. We go down into the valley of the shadow of death. Like picture walking through a valley. And you're surrounded on all sides by mountains or or hills. You're you're walking at the lowest point in the area. It's It's like you could be swallowed up by the earth at any minute. But our psalm doesn't end there. In fact, we go in the last section, we go up. We're lifted up, if you will. Metaphorically, we're lifted up. And then it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. This is victory language. And not only that, but in the very last line, it says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he's talking about the temple. And the temple was in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. And this is the highest point in the area. You see what I'm getting at here? The the picture of this psalm is a journey. It's a journey through life using the language of elevation. The, the fields and pastures, these are the everyday places where we walk, where we live our lives, places where we're nourished, where we grow. And there are the valleys, the dark and low places where life of life where we are surrounded by the shadow of death. And at the end there, there are the mountains, the peaks of life where we celebrate and feast And most importantly, the picture of us as we go through this journey is that we are being led by the Lord, our shepherd. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this journey with the psalmist, with David, and we're going to see what each of these places today show us about how the Lord leads us through these. So let's start with the pastures and calm waters. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me by still waters. And what, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, and in parts of the world today, sheep are led and cared for by shepherds. You've heard of these guys before, I'm sure. You know, we talk a lot about these guys in church. Not because it's really relevant to us in our lives. Because it was so relevant to the ancient Israelites. Sheep were a part of all spheres of life for the people of Israel. Is The meat they ate, the milk they drank, the, the milk they made cheese with, the clothes they wore. The, they even used horns for containers or instruments. And not only that, if you look through the book of Leviticus, you'll see the sheep were a really important part of the sacrificial system. They were clean animals that could be eaten and offered to the Lord. Or if we go even deeper, we'll see that there are a few key points in the year where sheep are involved in the religious holidays. So Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there was a sheep sacrifice to cover for the sins of the whole people. Or, with the Passover, is a, a yearly celebration where the people of Israel had come together, they get their families together, and they'd sacrifice a sheep and eat it together, the Passover lamb, to remember and celebrate the ways that the Lord had saved them and rescued them from captivity. So you get the picture here. That sheep are very, very important for the lives of the people in ancient Israel. In fact, almost all of the ancient Middle Eastern world, their economy revolves around sheep. But they were not easy to raise. One commentator, I loved what he said, said this, The economic value of sheep stands in direct proportion to the amount of supervision, i.e. guidance and protection these beasts require. He's saying that for being the center of the Jewish world, they were a pain to take care of. Sheep have to be led to food and water. You can't just trust that they will find their way there and back. You can't just hope that the sheep will find the grassy meadow and calm waters. They would get lost. And man, they are such easy prey. They're such docile animals. They're not fast. They're not coordinated. They, at different points in time, carry pounds of wool that God forbid gets wet and weighs them down or gets stuck in bramble. And then they're just like food on a platter for whatever comes by. Because in the Middle East, every wild animal eats sheep. Bears, wolves, cats, you name it, they eat them. Because why wouldn't you? I mean, they're fatty, they're meaty, and they're easy. This is like the trifecta, right? And so shepherds, if they want to raise sheep, they have to spend all of their time with the sheep. They have to walk them to the food. Show them where the safe water is. Pull them out of the water when they inevitably fall in. They go out and they find the strays. 
They cut them free of the bramble. They defend them from predators. Do you see the picture? This animal is helpless and needs the shepherd for survival. And now a lot of people, when they read or they talk about Psalm 23, the tendency is to then talk about, well, what does that mean about us? That we are the sheep. That, that the Lord is my shepherd. And so we must be the sheep. And I don't know about you, but I don't need anyone to draw the conclusions for me. I get how I am helpless, that I'm a mess, that I'm needy. I feel like I've got a good handle on that. What I want to know What does this say about the Lord who is my shepherd? Because if I really am like a sheep, dumb, helpless, prone to wander, stinky, I want to know what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd? What does this say about someone who's willing to care for such a fragile animal? It must mean that he is so gentle. I mean, who else is going to bind the wounds of a sheep in the middle of nowhere? Who else is going to look after the sick ones? Who else, when the lamb is born, is going to make sure that he can nurse with his mother? Only a gentle shepherd. And so we could say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is so gentle with me. Or what does it say about someone who spends every day his whole life leading dumb animals from place to place to to make sure that they have food to eat and water to drink? And that must mean that he is so patient in providing for us. I mean, don't you think that it would get old? Day after day, leading this herd of sheep around to the same seven or eight fields to eat. I can imagine myself, after two or three years of this, screaming in the middle of nowhere at a herd of sheep, saying, you know where the food is, just get it. But that's not what the Lord does. No, David says, no, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Man, how patient must the Lord be in providing for me? to never tire of providing. The Lord is my shepherd. He patiently provides for me. Oh man, what does it say about someone who is willing to guard these animals with his life? It must mean that he's both diligent and protective, right? I mean, think about this. Think about how 95% of the time, 99% of the time, hopefully, this job is boring. You're watching the same group of sheep eat in the same places and walk the same paths all the time. But man, that 1%, that 5%, when the wolf comes to try to take the sheep, is there a worse place to be than between a sheep and the pack or in the flock? How patient how diligent and protective the Lord is. We could say, the Lord is my shepherd. He keeps watch over me. In short, what I'm saying is in this first part, what we could say, when we're talking about the pastures and the meadows of life, 
we could say this, the Lord is my shepherd, He is good to me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord is your shepherd? That He cares for you? That He provides? That He keeps watch? I mean, it's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it? Sure, it's one thing to think that the Lord provides when we're walking through these lush meadows of life. right? It's easy to see the Lord's provision and protection. It's easy to believe that the Lord is our good shepherd when life is going well. But what about those moments when we're in the valley? What about those times when we feel the shadow of death over us and we can't see the end? I think the truth is that it's in these moments is that we really mean, learn what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. You see what it says here in verse 4? I'll read this again. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, I want us to see that this is not a hypothetical. David doesn't say, if I were to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No, he says, though I walk. I mean, I think if you've been alive for any amount of time, you know the valleys. You know that they come. You know it's an inevitable part of of life. Some of you are in the valley right now. You know what it's like to wake up in the mornings, to look around and, and everything is covered in that darkness. You know what it feels like to have the shadow of death laying on you. You know the valley. Or man, sometimes the valley is very sudden. Isn't it? Sometimes you're walking through the meadows and next thing you know, you're in the valley. And we had an experience like this. A few years ago, Kinsey and I were flying to California for her grandma's funeral. And we had a layover in Denver. So when we come out of Denver, we are flying over the Rocky Mountains and the pilot, captain, told us beforehand, hey, we're going to hit some rough air um, going over the mountains. Be ready for it. And what we hit was not rough air. As we're flying, we're at cruising altitude. And suddenly, the plane falls. I don't mean that like we hit a bump. We fell. And people in the aisles are knocked down. Flight attendants are scrambling to buckle themselves in. People are strapping themselves in and holding on. And we continued to do this for like 20, 30 minutes. And this whole time, the captain does not get on the intercom and say, hey, we hit some rough air. It's going to be fine. Hold on. There's silence. The flight attendants are not saying, it's okay. Hold on. No, they're strapped in, holding on. People are screaming. At one point, we look to our left. We, we just hit a drop. And we see a woman 
reach into the air and grab her child and pull him down to her lap. We thought we were going to die. Or at the very least, crash into the Rockies, which was not going to be a fun time. We were afraid for our lives. We were on a routine flight. We were walking through the meadows. And suddenly, we were in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's in these moments that you, are, you come face to face with like your own mortality. And you have to decide how you will face it. Or more realistically, you're shown how you face it. And man, we, the only words we could find, or, or the words of Philippians 1, 21, we just said over and over, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because in that moment, man, we weren't thinking about, you know, whether we had done enough good in our lives to be accepted by the Lord. We weren't thinking about our theology of salvation. We weren't thinking about why this was happening to us or what does it say about God that this is happening. And we, we thought we were dying. And our one comfort was that we knew to whom we belonged. And man, David knew to whom he belonged, didn't he? Do you see what David said here? He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? Is it because you know the way out of the valley? Is it because you're confident in your abilities to navigate? Is it because you are strong enough to protect yourself? Or because it's not as dark and scary as you thought? No. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This, this is the promise, friends. You will go through the valleys. You know that. We have been through the valleys. It's inevitable for broken people living in a broken world that we will go through the valleys at some point. And the promise is that the Lord is my shepherd. And that means that He is with me through the valleys. And if He is your shepherd, He will be with you through those valleys too. And the promise is that the valley is not the end of the story. Because do you remember how the psalm ends? It ends with celebration, with feasting, victory. It ends with celebrating in the house of the Lord. David describing here a temple party. And friends, do you know that the Lord prepares a table for you? He's saying that the Lord has got a spot for the, at the dinner party for you. Do you know the Lord does this in the presence of your enemies? This is victory language. This is winning language. If you're in that valley of shadows of death, and you're surrounded by your enemies, whatever they are, fear, anxiety, shame, self-loathing, man, people who are trying to hurt you, or all of our enemies, sin and death, the promise is that one day you will have victory 
over these things? How can we know that? Is this just some empty platitude? As Christians, do we just go around saying like, oh, don't be sad, things will get better? Do you say, oh, things are not that bad now? Oh, this doesn't compare to... No. We're Christians. We're not blind optimists. We know what it means to walk through the valley, don't we? We know that the world has a way of punching you in the gut and taking all of your money. As Christians, we don't just hope the things will work out. We expect things to work out. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. And he sets a table for me. In other words, we have faith that the Lord is the sovereign king of the universe. And because he is my shepherd... He will lift me up out of the valley of the shadow of death. And how do I know that? Because He has shown, He's already shown that He is willing to pay any price for me. Romans 8, 31-39 paints a beautiful picture of this. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why can I be confident that the Lord will raise me up, set a table for me, and let me dwell in His house forever? Because Jesus laid down His life for me. And if God did not spare His own Son, if there was no cost too high to restore my relationship with Him, why would I expect anything less? Friends, we've talked a lot today about the plains and meadows and the deep, dark valleys, but I want to remind you again how this psalm ends. It says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And again, the house of the Lord is the temple. And again, the temple is on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, the highest point in the area. The promise is that we will end up in the presence of God, living with Him forever, lifted up on the mountain, out of the valley. 
And we know that because when Jesus was on earth, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, awaiting his crucifixion. And he was so anxious about what was about to happen to him that he was sweating blood. And he didn't just fear that he would die. He knew death was coming. He knew it was coming. He expected it. In fact, it was a part of the plan the whole time. John, Jesus said in John 10, 14 and 15, He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. That was the plan the whole time. That was always the plan. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he laid his life down for us, his sheep. And you know, Jesus was lifted up on a hill near Jerusalem too. But he went up to die so that we could be lifted up to live. Friends, this is our shepherd. This is the one that this psalm exclaims. This is our Lord Jesus who was lifted up in crucifixion so that we could be lifted up in glory. And so the question today is, do you know Him? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus is the good shepherd. And He laid down His life for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are our good shepherd. We shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You are good and gracious to us. You guide us. You love us. You provide for us. You protect us. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, you lay down your life for us. We thank you. We thank you for the psalm for this reminder of your love, your patience, and your goodness. I just pray that as we leave here, Lord, that we could be reminded, we could be reminded how personal it is to say that you are my shepherd. I pray that as we leave, that we could be a people who say the Lord is my shepherd. That you would work in our hearts and produce this, this change in us of trusting and loving you more. We thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.